Welcome to the Augustine Podcast, a conversation about the life, thought, and work of St. Augustine of Hippo. I'm your host, Joshua Blanchard. My guest today is Dr. Matthew Penal. He is a historian by profession, currently serving as a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Namur. Matthew Pino obtained his doctorate in history at the University of Oxford in 2016. Previously, he had completed an MST at the University of Oxford in late antique and Byzantine studies. He also holds an MA in ancient Mediterranean and Near Eastern studies and a BA in history. His main interests lie in the history of late antique and early medieval Christianity in the West, particularly the initiation to Christianity, Christian education, hagiography, sermons, and of course, the figure and works of Augustine of Hippo. He's interested in the reception of late antique works in the Middle Ages, looking at Latin evidence, uh, particularly on hagiography as well, literary sources from Italy and Gaul. He's interested in the writing and rewriting of bibliographies, and biographies. He's interested in the writing and rewriting of biographies and martyrdom accounts, and in their manuscript transmission in the Middle Ages. Today we are discussing his book, The Catechumenate in Late Antique Africa. Thanks for, for talking and taking time to connect. Tell me just, yeah, what, what's your work on and what got you into this early so, catechumenism and stuff? Yeah, so I basically I'm, I'm interested, probably I'm a historian, um, and I'm interested in late antiquity and the early Middle Ages. And uh, I have a special interest in the history of Christianity and how uh, Christian communities define themselves and how they practice their, rit their main rituals and how they teach them. Um, so that has been my broad interest, uh, which led me into the catechumenate. Um, and um, yeah, uh, really, I worked on the catechumenate first in Paris. Uh, when I was a master's student, that's ah. where I started working on that uh, at the Ecole Pratique des Hautes Études, so in, in Paris. Uh, and there I worked uh, mostly on uh, late antiquity in Italy, so not on Augustine, okay. uh, not on Africa, but I was more on, on Italy. And my main question was, uh, can we trace the end of the catechumenate? Uh, so when did the catechumenate fade away as a practice uh, and was replaced by infant baptism? So that was basically the, the, the question I tried to answer um, at first. I don't know if it's helpful to um, remind us uh, what the catechumenate is about at that time. but Yeah, um, yeah. give me a brief definition of what you mean by catechumenate. And yeah. then I, I want to know the answer to that question of when it faded away. There are many ways to, to define it, but I, I take uh, the more, you know, close definition as everything you do uh, with a convert before uh, baptism. So anything that happens from the time when uh, an individual starts to be interested in Christianity until the time uh, he or she is baptized. So that would how I define the catechumenate. And in practice, it means uh, any kind of ritual you, you do uh, um, to integrate the new uh, convert and any kind of teaching uh, they take part in and so on. Okay. What do you mean by interest in Christianity or like a convert? How do you mark that line of... This is yeah, that's a very difficult begin. thing to do. Yeah. 
the, what is especially interesting is that we have very little uh, information about how people approach Christianity before. So how do they become interested in Christianity? And we are we have more about people uh, once they have they have shown their interest. So it's very difficult to study what happens before that. Um, and especially for Augustine, as I would say, we we have only information from uh, about people who say they they want to become Christian, but we don't know why. And so Augustine will try to to guess, and he will ask uh, individuals to say why they come to convert, but there is no real discussion about how it happened really. So it's mm. uh, really a, for for historians uh, difficult to to know the dynamics behind the you know the first approach to Christianity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where do you see infant baptism starting and this catechumenate fall off? So what would you find your masters? Yeah. So what I found is that uh, generally the, um, the main uh, scholarship, the main view in scholarship is that uh, the catechumenate um, faded away in the fifth century, sometimes sixth century. Uh, what I've shown for Italy is that it's it stays as an important organization until the sixth century, at least. And that it's important to to work uh, on different sources, like regionally, and not try to to impose one view that would work for the whole, uh, you know, Mediterranean, for instance. Or let's say uh, it's not good to say um, it faded away in the fifth century in the West. It's better to say it it faded away in different regions, different times, and it still existed in some way because we know that it, uh, even later, like in Carolingian times, ninth century. They had still an interest and tried to renew an interest, new new interest in the catechumenate for converting uh, uh, new uh, people to Christianity. Okay, before his declines, is infant baptism not popular? Yeah, uh, that's another uh, big debate because, uh, yeah. as perhaps you know, um, there is a big debate in scholarship um, between those who say that uh, infant baptism was uh, apostolic practice and was uh, already, um, you know common in ancient in the most ancient times and other uh, the other view would be that uh, it developed um, as a normative practice much later and was only used occasionally and especially in emergency cases so it's a debated question um, okay I, I didn't know yeah. that no this is so outside of yeah my my expertise there is a recent book uh, by um, which is uh, titled um, baptism in the uh, early church by uh, everett ferguson which is a very good synthesis of this and um, much more on baptism so would recommend look at that for the where the debate is discussed and all this um, but basically what what we can what i would say is that there is evidence for infant baptism in early times but it's difficult to say uh, how much it was widespread so okay yeah. Yeah, I know you get this weird dichotomy with Augustine, who's obviously baptized pretty late. And also his writing about not baptizing infants is pretty damning. That's curious. I'll look into the, to that book. What got you into this in the first place? The catechumen and its decline? Yeah, so I'm interested was in, um, as I said, late antiquity. So a time of change. Uh, I'm interested in seeing how um, society uh, in the West as a whole evolved from antiquity to the Middle Ages. And this is one big change from, you know, converting to religion uh, uh, as an adult and converting, you know, be becoming member of the community as a baby. There is a big change there. So I was interested in this change. And also I'm interested in teaching. So how you pa how you transmit uh, pass on to next generations uh, teaching about, about Christianity and how much do you do you keep the tradition or uh, innovate? So that's another interest. 
And that's from from there I was interested in this. Yeah. Yeah. I know this book comes out of your PhD at Oxford. Who did you study with at Oxford? Yeah, so when I left Paris, I went to Oxford to because I was interested in late antiquity, and they have a an important significant center, uh, Oxford Center for Late, Antiqu uh, late Antiquity. Okay. And there I worked with Neil MacLean and uh, Conrad Leiser. It was interesting because Con uh, Neil MacLean is, uh, is in classics and Conrad Leiser, Leiser in history. Yeah. Uh, it was a good combination. And uh, there I wanted to continue work on the catechumenate, but um, there I realized how Augustine, how important he was. Yeah. So that's uh, when I was in Oxford, I realized that, uh, you know, looking at sources available, uh, he is probably has 90% of um, the information we have about the catechumenate at his time uh, throughout the Latin world. So I thought we need to study Augustine to know more about this because he's really the biggest source. Um, that's where I started. And so I started the thesis um, working on, in, on the catechumenate in Augustine and then I realized that I needed to expand to, you know, put Augustine in a broader world, the African world. So yeah. I tried to include more uh, evidence outside Augustine as well. Cool. Did you intend to switch from, um, you said in France you were looking at Italy, did you intend to switch or did you just find the most material we have is Augustine? So I'll, exactly. I'll no, I, I intended to continue to work uh, on Italy, but really when I realized that all this material was there and was, uh, you know, there is a basic view often that people have in mind is that every, you know, Augustine is well known. We know so much about him. There's, there's no point studying again and again. But in fact, uh, I realized it was not true for my, for this case at least. There was a much more to say. So that, that's why I decided to to work on this. Yeah. Well, there's not again. This is just so foreign to my focus, but. There's not much in, say, Ambrose or any Latin writers about sort of their their styles of. There is, pieces. there is a yes. Ambrose is famous for a, a couple of texts about uh, how you know, but it's more uh, Ambrose is more focused on uh, post baptismal teaching. So what what you teach to uh, the candidates after they have been baptized. Um, so there, there is a lot, um, and of course, when he is teaching what they have just experienced, he goes back to what they experienced. But yeah. it's still a different kind of teaching which happens after baptism. And so okay. there, are, there is much less about what they did before, you know, uh, sources about what, what they did before baptism. Okay, he doesn't have these sort of, these sermons that say, now I'm going to address the catechumens and prepare them. Like, like we have very clear sermons for Augustine right to the catechumenate, right? Yes. That sort of doesn't. No, you have a way. yeah. You don't have that much because for Ambrose you have a, a couple of works which uh, researchers suppose scholars think that might have been uh, written for catechumens, but there is little evidence in in these uh, treatises about the liturgical context, you know, and the specific dating and context, and so it's difficult. It's just uh, that the the topics addressed work well and sometimes uh, seem to work well for uh, you know initiation. Yeah. Well, I want to. I want you to sort of walk me through the book, but first, give me sort of the overview. What is catechesis? Who are these different groups we're talking to? Uh, yeah, you know better than than I do. So yeah, basically, the what is very interesting with the catechumenate is that Christian communities at that time are divided in two groups. You could say so: the the catechumens and the baptized. And then, of course, there are those who are outside the community. But focusing on the community, this uh, it's a very interesting feature to have a community divided in two parts, like the, the partially integrated and the more fully integrated. Yeah. And so to move from one group to the other, you need to, to perform, you know, to, to undergo catechesis, but as well uh, ritual 
rituals of uh, integration like exorcism um you know and also basically only taking part to the first part of the mass ah, uh, they kick everyone they, out right they had access to the to the mass up to uh, uh that's also a debated topic but uh, generally we can say up to after the sermon and then they would be dismissed before the main uh, uh, you know ritual of the eucharist so that's also an interesting thing to to see in early christianity which uh, faded away later and this separation between the two parts of the community and that you cannot become um, a full member until you haven't complete uh, completed the first part you know the, the catechumenate yeah um tell me i i read somewhere i don't know if this is right that sort of the lord's prayer and the creeds are also kind of reserved at least until you formally enter the catechesis is that right Yes, yeah, yes, and you see different practices. Uh, as I said, um, it's uh, regional practices. We, we, at that time, there is not one standard practice. So mm -hmm. that's a very important point I make in yeah. the book, and I want to come across. So it's that uh, things are, are different in one place and in another. And so for this is the case for the Lord's Prayer, for instance, and the Creed, that you will uh, learn at uh, different times, or um, in some communities you learn the Lord's Prayer after baptism. And in others before baptism in africa in augustine's community you learned it before baptism okay but quite close to baptism like a, a week before or a couple of weeks before okay and then you are uh, yeah another important thing is that you're only allowed to pray this uh prayer really as a as a son that's what augustine would say as a son of god once you're mm -hmm. part of the community as a baptized yeah so that's a big change the prayer our father is reserved for for people, it seems much more sort of cultish than what we're used to today, right? Yes, it's it's so much, much more uh, much more like uh, there is a yeah there is a whole uh, training to to undergo and complete before you can really enter the community there, and there are reasons to I think to explain why they they, they develop this or uh, this kind of organization. Um, I think the reason is that uh, yeah it's that there 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 was a, a need especially in, in a and a time where there was not one single religion imposed, uh, you know, state religion, but there, there was a lot of diversity at the time. Was I think it was important to define, you know, have something to define your own community and, and distinguish it from other communities. And it's even true within Christianity. And that's another point I make in my book is that um, the catechumenate is very important to to the community for how it's, it is defined also against other Christians or you know, other groups of Christians who in Africa or elsewhere. Do we have much about sort of these other sects? Do they do catechesis? Like is there a Manichaean catechesis as well? And it's different? Yeah, it's uh, there is. There is, but uh, you know, uh, for Manichaeism, evidence is not so abundant for that. But we right. know that the, they, they also had a um, uh, twofold uh, division in the communities with, between the hearers and the elects. So the, the hearers were would be a sort of uh, catechumens, and yeah. the elect would be a sort of the like the baptized. Although it's uh, you know you can't compare, but it shouldn't go too far uh, with the comparison. But um, they had this uh, you know two-tier uh, community as well, and they also taught uh, these hearers because you know hearers the name already shows what they did, and they hear and then uh, they can be elected. They yeah. can be elected. Interesting. Yeah, well, tell me, like, sort of walk me through the book, other than being divided. Like, what is a catechumen? What are they doing? What are they not? I mean, we know they're not partaking in anything after the, the sermon. Sort of 
what is this stage of life? How long does it last to be mm. yeah. in catechesis? Yeah. So I, in the book, I, um, I cover Augustine, uh, all the evidence about catechumens, uh, as I said, everything that happens before baptism. And then I um, study as well um, sermons, uh, which are anonymous, but uh, a number of them are put under the name of Quod Vuldeus of Carthage. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, he's who, supposed to be a bishop in the mid-5th century uh, in Africa, who was exiled in Italy. But uh, in the book, I say that the attribution of these sermons uh, is doubtful. So it doesn't matter so much for us, but let's say that. So I have a uh, like a group of sermons uh, about initiation, which come from North Africa as well, you know, to compare with uh, those of Augustine. Yeah. And then uh, a couple of other sermons. And then I look at the uh, 6th century evidence. And there, um, the main evidence is a correspondence between Fulgentius of Rusp and Ferrandus. Uh, in the 6th century, they exchanged letters about baptism, about how baptism should be performed and okay. about um, the, the issues for those who do not complete the catechumenate. So there is a real, uh, you see there, they're still interested in the catechumenate. And then I compare this African evidence in the final chapter with what happens in Italy. So I go back yeah. to what I did before um, to show that uh, they are part of the same kind of world where they start to use even Augustine and the earlier tradition to to teach and, and define the catechumenate. So that there, there start to be a stronger focus on, on tradition as well at that time. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. And so to go and back. How much, to, how much difference is there? Sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah between these different versions like how much difference do we see between what we know from augustine and hippo versus yeah you you've got some text from carthage from what we know about augustine's catechesis under ambrose like how much variation have you found yeah variation we we find is that um for instance basically it's like the calendar of ceremonies so when do, do you perform what, what kind of ritual can change um and another uh, very interesting thing uh, i discovered is the in some of the anonymous sermons, they teach uh, psalms before baptism, and this is quite interesting. So they they would use a psalm like they they did for the creed, and teach this the text of this psalm to be uh, you know uh, learned by the catechumens and part of their education before baptism. Yeah. But you don't find that um, direct evidence in Augustine on in other. Uh, in the other African evidence, but in some of the anonymous sermons, you find this. So there you see it's something quite different that they, they teach or may teach or may not teach. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, yeah going back to how long is this process of catechesis and other uh, than yeah. listening, what's involved? That's broadly? a good question because it's uh, a matter of, of debate and uh, there is no answer. So there is okay. no standard. Uh, let's say and there is a text uh, that is quite famous is the apostolic tradition and which was supposed to be from from the early centuries but has been recently reconsidered uh, as more like a, a compilation but uh, in this text they say three years for the catechumenate wow why not three years but uh, the, uh, augustine never says how, how long uh, yeah. it should be and no no evidence in it, any other uh, african evidence or or from italy as well um but yeah, I think it, it lasts as long as it has to, to last. Also, it depends on people. And you see Augustine is baptized in his 30s. And in my right. book, the first chapter is about Augustine the catechumen. So yeah. I look at, at Augustine himself as uh, what he did uh, in, in his life and how we can trace the life of a catechumen, because it's very difficult. So it would be great to have many sources, but we don't have about, you know, the life of a catechumen until he, he gets uh, baptized. 
And so I use Augustine as an interesting case because, you know, he talks a lot about himself. Yes. And it's, it's a way to, to know something about uh, what the catechumens did. Um, of course, the big issue there is that to what extent can we say he was typical or was he really special? Um, how is experience? how much it can be uh, described as uh, typical of this time. So, but let's say in the broad terms, I think it is typical. So that's why I conclude in the first chapter in broad terms, the fact that it lasts uh, quite a long time and he is probably a catechumen in early childhood. Okay. And so and he, he stays a catechumen until he goes uh, to convert to the, Christ, uh, to the Manichaean community. And even there, as I say, uh, we can see through the confessions, it seems that he was never really far from uh, his original, you know, what we could say, uh, Catholic Christianity. Yeah. And, and he went back to it in in Milan. Um, but it was it seemed to be perhaps more easy to go back than uh, than it's portrayed uh, in the confessions. So, I mean, he was right. still part of that community in some sense. Yeah. And he says, I, I, in some passages, he says, I, I decided to, to stay, uh, to, to return to the, the community, the catechumen, uh, Nate, uh, in where, where my father, my parents put me. So it's really going back to the family heritage. That's what he's doing in Milan. So it's not, uh, you see sometimes people saying, oh, he converted uh, to Christianity. It's not true. He was, you know, since very early childhood, he was a Christian. Right, right. So it's the, a long, long process, I would say. Outside of the confessions, is there much information about what catechesis looks like for him under Ambrose? Or is that, I mean, I know in the confessions, it's sort of, I returned to the catechetic monate, then I was baptized, and there's not much detail there. Does yeah, he have yeah. other sources yeah. that are? No, helpful? not at all. Yeah, it's really uh, very disappointing for historians and uh, puzzling even. Why would he just summarize this in one word, in one sentence? Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. Yeah, that's cool. true. Uh, I, there are many reasons. I, in the book I explore and I, I give a number of reasons, but I th for me, the main reason why he doesn't talk there is because it's not the point. Uh, right. You know, it's not the point. He's talking about other things, but it could also be, uh, you, could, you could also argue that uh, this is also part of um, uh, a secret part of, uh, you know, uh, something you don't have to discuss in detail. Okay. Um, and there are other reasons that the, yeah. the audience might not be, uh, you know, interested in this aspect and so on. Yeah, but no, that yeah, makes sense. I, you say it, it takes as long as it takes. What are we, what are we waiting for? Like, what's the point of this process? That's the question Augustine would ask to his uh, audience as a as a bishop. Yeah. Uh, why are we waiting still? Uh, you come on. Um, and so. Uh, uh, yeah, basically, what Augustine gives us a, a number of the reasons why people uh, wait. But uh, it's difficult, sometimes difficult to say whether it's just rhetoric on its part or, or whether we can really think that that's what they, they thought. But let's say uh, it represents what they thought. It, um, it's, the reasons uh, sometimes given are that, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's um, a big commitment and they don't want to take it uh, lightly. And here I, I'd like to say that we have an amazing source, uh, which is um, the uh, letters uh, Augustine exchanged with a, an, evil, an individual called uh, Firmus, okay. and, uh, who uh, was a eager reader of the City of God of Augustine and yeah. was a catechumen himself. And he, uh, Augustine writes to him to say uh, that he, 
he should get baptized and stop way, stop uh, postponing. And he uh, quotes the reasons of Firmus for uh, postponing. Is this and the I famous, like, walls don't make a church? Is this that letter? No, it's not that one. No. But that's okay. another. Uh, we can discuss that, too. Yeah, okay. but that is Firmus. Is, uh, so he, he writes that uh, it's a commitment that takes a long uh, time. You know, it needs to be uh, really well thought and that uh, he has to, to, to take this seriously. And so I think the main reason we could say is that People see it like more like an end point of their experience rather as the start that uh, as modern Christianity would say, baptism is just the start and go on. And right. Augustine as well would say this, but apparently many people at his time thought that, okay, I get, I will get baptized once I'm settled and I, I'm in a position to behave and, you know, not be too young, you see. Yeah. Um, so there is a per perhaps a connection to, to this and to so how seriously people take baptism. And uh, the you know the um, purification from sins, and how much they can really be uh, forgiven after baptism. So they mm. see uh, baptism as really the, the main occasion in their life to for to be forgiven of and to change their way of life. Yeah. Right. This is Monica's reason for holding off Augustine, right? Just saying, sin and then get your act together and then get baptized. Like she doesn't baptize him young. Yeah, yeah. Augustine um, complains about this in the confession, yeah. saying that uh, Monica should have uh, should have uh, brought him to baptism earlier, and that she waited. Uh, yeah, and as I say in the book, it probably reflects something that happened at the time that parents okay. would wait. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, he complains because he's writing as a bishop. As I said, he's complaining about the people uh, postponing. Yeah. yeah. So if I'm hearing you, it's not that the church and the bishop saying no, you need to wait. It's usually the the individual the catechumen ah, it's a bit of waiting. both yeah it's a bit of both because as i said the the, the church you know the communities they put <clears throat> rules in place to the catechumen the catechumenate itself is in place to to avoid people rushing to baptism without being taught about christianity and without right. being trained and so i think it's both part both uh, parties are involved so those who convert need to to be convinced and to you know be trained and on the other side the community of the baptized they they have a way to to you know yeah train people and uh, really uh, build a community which is uh, you know which has shared values and shared rituals and shared uh, belonging and yeah. so that's what i say in the introduction to the book is that for me, the one of the main um, reasons the catechumenate is important is that it defines the Christian communities. Because each time you baptize uh, new new converts, each time you have to redefine the community, what it is, you know, right. and that's important. Yeah. Um, yeah, so on the other side, on the church's side, what is the church? I'm sure there's variation, but what does the church want to see out of a catechumenate before they baptize them? Like what do they need to learn and okay, know? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, in Augustine, there is a in his treatise, which is uh, entitled uh, "On Faith and Works," he gives a number of rules that you have to follow uh, and tries to enforce rules um, uh, before baptism. And uh, and I've written an article on that, um, uh, which is uh, titled uh, "Setting Rules for Becoming Christian," because it's that uh, what he's trying to do is set, uh, you know. And again, I want to stress that there probably were no, no fixed and stardust rules to, that would work everywhere in late anti Christianity, but but some rules are clear, uh, clearly widespread, and some of these are um, that you don't have to yet you have to leave some professions which are seen as uh, shameful and you know not fitting with a Christian belonging. 
Okay. Um, especially they, yeah, what you see especially common is that uh, anything to to do with entertainment and shows and you know right. game because it's associated also with the paganism uh, should be banned, and then uh, prostitution, a number of things so of behavior that you have to change before you can be baptized. Okay. So there are rules in this yeah in place, and also Augustine discusses in the in the same treatise he discusses rules about marriage. Uh, that uh, if you are married and you 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 have an adulterous relationship, you cannot get baptized. Okay. So, for instance, you know this kind of thing. So, also rules about sexuality and how you yeah. behave. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So there's rules. There's sort of lifestyle things and some basic education things. Yeah, yeah. And maybe so that, that explains why people want to wait if they have to make these big changes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There are commitments to to be made, and so it's not so. It's really a serious uh, yeah commitment to make. So yeah. Definitely a little different than our current approach. You see, uh, and that's why uh, I was interested in how from there you, you um, at some point you end up uh, with a infant baptism. So it's really a different world that you're you're baptized uh, as a baby. You have no way of showing what you have done in life. So it's a different approach. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I want to come back to when we get to infant baptism and confirmation, which I have no idea when that starts, but Maybe you do. So you're you're trying to basically get your life not necessarily in order, but the big things in order to learn basic terms of the faith. And then you're learning, you're hearing, you're not participating in anything after the sermon. So no no sacrament. What is the the build up? Your, your chapter three, you talk about the negotiation of baptism and pastoral care and taking that step. What does that look like negotiating baptism? Yeah, that's uh, the topic. I think for uh, one of chapter I, I have a title like that, negotiating baptism in Augustine. Yeah. is that yeah, it's um, as I said, Augustine is trying to bring people to to baptism, and uh, in 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 Augustine we have evidence <clears throat> in sermons, as I said, so many sermons where he invites catechumens to be baptized. And what what I try to show is that it's not limited to just bef- uh, during the Lenten uh, period. Um, because we didn't discuss that, but mainly um, at Augustine's time, people would get yeah. baptized uh, at Easter right. uh, with uh, preparing for baptism before Easter. And so uh, scholarship has tended to say that these sermons, because they invite catechumens uh, for baptism, should have been preached uh, during that period. Um, so I'm trying to show like... that it's not the case, that Augustine is um, preaching about uh, getting baptized uh, more often, and even outside this. And there is a very interesting, very interesting text. Um, it's a, a sermon, um, Dolbo. So one of these sermons discovered uh, in 1990 by François Dolbo. In, in, maybe you heard about that in a, in a manuscript. Yeah, it's the best thing. Yeah, it's an amazing set of sermons. And there is one uh, which is about the burial of a catechumen. Uh, okay. It's really an amazing evidence for for the catechumenate. So it, uh, Augustine's preaching uh, at the time when they are. Um, burying uh, the body of this catechumen who died without baptism. And people are really upset uh, that he cannot be buried uh, in the, in, uh, in, you know, among, uh, he has to be buried outside. Uh, uh, and they, uh, so people are really, bur- uh, you know, the family, uh, it's clearly can be felt in the sermon that they are disappointed. And yeah. he's explaining that uh, uh, as there are rules in life, there are rules in the afterlife. So you cannot, uh, if you're not baptized, you know, and so that's a very interesting text where he says, OK, you, you're still alive. You're hearing my sermon. Uh, go on, go and get baptized. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so it's quite harsh. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting story. Yeah, very harsh. Yeah. Is there any evidence to know when Augustine baptizes? Um, so is this sort of like he's frequently calling people to baptize, but he's not baptizing them often. He's saying like, oh, when it comes around Easter. Or do you think he's legitimately saying, come and be baptized now? No, I think it's sort of more um, when he invites people to baptism outside the period. Is uh, I was interpreted like uh, get enrolled for baptism, at, you know, to prepare for baptism at the right time. But uh, as I said, it takes some time. So, but it's okay. Yeah, but we have uh, no. Um, we cannot say that the baptism only took place at Easter. And uh, can be Augustine says that there is no not one single uh, or day single fitting date for baptism. So he already says this. So the, it's open. You know, you can of course in emergency you can baptize at any right. any time. But maybe even uh, you know it's not because we don't have evidence that we have to say that it didn't happen. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. Cool. So you we negotiate. We get them to take this step. Uh, tell us about the. The Lenten preparation. Uh, it's, it's maybe a little more than our preparation for baptism today. What's this process? Uh, yeah, and maybe you can tell me about Hippo, but also note any uh, disparities that you found with other things. Yeah, yeah. So you'd like me to discuss a bit more uh, about what exactly? I... Yeah, this this preparation period, the the week or two weeks before baptism. Oh yeah. What's yeah. going on? What do they do? Uh, so yeah, yeah. it's uh, even more uh, than two weeks. It like um, we, we could say yeah, it's extends for for a number of weeks. Uh, but in Augustine, we don't have m much evidence about um, you know how it was organized exactly. Uh, okay. We know that at least well, as I said that they they learned the creed, that they learned to memorize the creed, and then to they have to have a, recite the creed um, at some point. But we don't know exactly the dates uh, when it happened. And sa same for the Lord's Prayer. So they, they first heard the creed and then they, they heard the, the Lord's Prayer. And so the, the, the texts were probably so, uh, read to them and, uh, and then they are also explained and then they have to learn them. And Augustine says that they they can um, you know they get they get help from other members the, of the community to try to memorize and learn these texts. Uh, and then they have to, you know, before they can be baptized, it's part of the requirement that they have to recite these texts. Yeah. Okay. So that's the main things we know. Yes. Uh, we know as well that they perform exorcisms um, to to clean, to you know, yeah, purification of candidates uh, of um, any any kind of uh, evil that they have, and, and so that was an important part of the beliefs of that time, that uh, they need to be taken you know, away from, from demons and from, yeah. from uh, the devil and uh, to, you know, and part of this was uh, exercising and also exuflation. So, uh, yeah, yeah, breathing on the candidates or okay. to, to chase the, the devil as well. Yeah. Uh, also part of the practice. Uh, we don't know how often they did this, but we know they did it and it was important part of the, of the initiation. Okay, good. Uh, and then what else is there? Because I know there's, there's fasting and maybe scrubbing yeah. and cleaning. Yeah, there, there are other, the other practice uh, Augustine mentions is yes, fasting, uh, vigils, so um, as well abstaining from sexual relationships right, during right. the period that period. 
um, yeah, and again, we don't know how often they, they did this and how much they followed these rules, but yeah, basically, broadly, that's what we know, that, what you know, know, any kind of, and it's generally, it's a, a time of penance for the whole community. And, and so the it's even broader than just initiation. It's for the whole community to yeah. to be in a time of uh, yeah penance. Yeah. And did you say would this be for for most of Lent, or we don't know? For yeah, yeah. For, for most, of, yeah, we, yeah. For for most of Lent, yes. We don't have, a, as I said, we don't have a, an exact way of you know putting dates on yeah. uh, you know saying on that Sunday. Although you'll see that a lot in scholarship. But uh, I, I try to show in the book that uh, we have only evidence about that these things happen in some order, but not the exact dates. We cannot say. Yeah, that's understandable. Good. Yeah, it's a lot. The the exorcisms are fun. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah. Good. The, and then, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're they're baptized. What does sort of life look like after baptism? What's different? Or maybe you could say. What does actual baptism look like? Um, do you, I don't I don't know much about the actual historical practice. Um, is it immersion? Is it sprinkling? Is it all sorts of stuff? Again, it's uh, another debated issue. But uh, you know how were they fully uh, immersed in water? But uh, yeah, that's not part of the what I, this, the work I did because I stopped before baptism. Yeah. Yeah, but still, right. I can say that you have a, a lot of uh, discussion about this. As I mentioned, the book of Ferguson is a good starting point to okay. to look at this debate about uh, sprinkling or immersion. Yeah. And, and generally, it, yeah, yeah uh, immersion is quite common. And there, there, um, in Africa, you have uh, amazing examples of uh, baptisteries still still preserved, which have steps. You go down steps, and okay. uh, you're baptized there inside. And some are quite deep. Which would uh, let you think that there was an immersion, but um, yeah, it's uh, still debated because you don't know, uh, or you know, if they were seated or standing. You have uh, also mosaics representing baptism, for instance, okay. baptism of Christ yeah. uh, in Ravenna, uh, where he's standing uh, with the water until uh, up to the belly and uh, still receiving some water on from above. So you know, yeah, it's uh, it's debated and complicated, but yeah, yeah, you know more than me. <laughs> I know it's not in the book, but I'm sure you knew more than me. But yeah, I would say it's uh, it's uh, it's open to debate because we you even if you find the archaeological evidence, there is no way of being certain of how they standed were standing probably standing, uh, or you know yeah yeah uh, in some uh, there, yeah I th I'm thinking about some text from hagiography, which I studied um, in my master's hagiography uh, from Italy. Uh, where they they mention uh, like sort of uh, I can't find the word but uh, some yeah in wood like a sort of container in wood that, in which they would be baptized so containing water and there you have some more specific uh, description you know of the the place where they were baptized so it, it, of course uh, not all the um, candidates would be baptized in these amazing beautifully uh, decorated baptisteries but right. uh, probably more common like as i said in hagrography some wooden container uh, where they would see uh, standing stand or seat yeah okay good uh, i'll definitely look into the ferguson book I, yeah I yeah it's, it has a as i said a, a, covering all the evidence from the early centuries, but also discussing the debates about infant baptism and immersion, which was quite important. Yeah. 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 It's uh, from 2009, so it's already not so new, but uh, I think it's, uh, it's 800, 900 pages. So it's, oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. 
yeah, well, I can't be out of date yet. How much has changed in, in 10 years about ancient baptism? Uh, good. Well, maybe that's a, a good transition to did you ever sort of solve your master's problem of where where does this catechumenism stop and where do we get confirmation uh, that as a practice I, yeah. to sort of replace yeah. catechesis? Uh, what I decided to do uh, to try to solve these issues was to take a different approach now as in to look at the reception of Augustine, okay. <clears throat> because I realized already uh, um, in the final chapter of my book, I, I discussed these 6th century sources. Mm-hmm. And you see there that they are already um, quite, uh, you know, influenced by Augustine and yeah. that Augustine is already becoming uh, important uh, as a, an authority to how you define what you do. And so I thought it would be interesting to look at the reception of Augustine to try to trace <clears throat> how people would practice and understand uh, these Christian rituals. And so I, my, I worked uh, um, until recently in Durham uh, for, with a, in a Leverhulme uh, early career fellowship. Okay. Where he studied um, a couple of you know six seven eight works of Augustine, um, pastoral works of Augustine, which focus on initiation, baptism, uh, marriage, uh, virginity, yeah. Christian identity, um, try to see where and how they were read or used uh, in the early Middle Ages until the 10th century. So trying okay. to have a bigger picture, and so that's the project I worked after the book. Um, and there, uh, I'm trying to trace uh, whether they use or not Augustine, whether it was widespread or not. Um, it's a way uh, also to explore these uh, later changes. Yeah. Um, t- tell me about that last one about Christian identity, because that's my research is sort of on on Christian identity in Augustine. Uh, what are you What are you looking at? Um, well, what I'm did, looking, what uh, did you look yeah. at? This was at Durham. There was one yeah. of the questions you you gave me, which was about uh, what kind of works should be read about Augustine, and I think yeah. uh, especially these uh, small uh, pastoral treatises, uh, which are neglected, should okay. be read and you'll be more read. And one of these is Christian Combat, the uh, Agone Cristiano. Okay, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, it's believed to be an early. Uh, is, we know it's an early work of Augustine in the 390s. Um, and that uh, it's a work uh, basically teaching Christianity um, in a, in simple terms and how uh, what is Christianity about and what it shouldn't be. Um, really? And so, although the title uh, Christ, uh, yeah, Christian Combat uh, reflects the fact that uh, well, it's combat in the sense of what you should do to be a, a good Christian in life. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's not about fighting crusades or so on, but yeah. Uh, so it's really about uh, in, you know inner fighting about fighting in yourself um, and it also includes in the second part of the work it, it includes a list of heresies um, you know think uh, anything uh, any kind of uh, theological views about uh, the trinity which are wrong so okay. it also includes uh, for augustine of course wrong for augustine and so right. that and these uh, these views are discussed like uh, as a list and um, what i found interest in uh, in early manuscripts which are interesting is that they they start putting names uh, of these heresies so these heresies are not named by augustine uh, but yeah. uh, you know readers in the early middle ages found that so interesting that they so they put names of the different heresies so that they have like a sort of small catalog of heresies from this work and there you can see a, a sort of use of Augustine um, to like a standard uh, guide to um, some of the main uh, heresies or dissident groups. Yeah, yeah, 
Um, what other little pastoral works are you talking about? Hey, other works which are interesting. Um, uh, uh, yeah, works on marriage and virginity. So there is on the yep. goodness of marriage, on virginity, on widowhood, on 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 con continence and chastity. Yeah. Um, so this, yeah, some of these are, are quite short works, and they they discuss uh, yeah marriage and they discuss you know, and they they are not so often studied and right. uh, but but they are well diffused in the early Middle Ages, so people were reading that quite a lot. Okay, good, good. Uh, that's very helpful, thank you. And uh, yeah, and especially one work which I want to mention is the, I already mentioned, is the On Faith and Works, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a very interesting and little studied. Uh, it's a polemic, actually, uh, okay. a, which would reflect also kind of polemics which are interesting in, for people in the Reformation. Uh, um, it's not only about the difference between faith and works, so in what you do and what you believe, but it's really a debate about, as I said, the rules that you practice, you have to uh, put into practice before baptism and okay. who can be admitted to baptism. And uh, he's opposing some um, unknown uh, individuals uh, who wrote that uh, you can be baptized uh, whatever you do, uh, so, you know. For, he's trying to oppose these people who say that it doesn't matter if you're uh, divorced or if you're uh, an adulterous, adulterous relationship, you can still be baptized because right. baptism is the first step. You first believe and then you can practice. Uh, so, um, of course, it's also tempting to to wonder um, who these people were. They, did they ever exist or were they only, you know, an opponent uh, by Augustine created to make his point? Yeah. But uh, I think they, they existed because Augustine um, um, is discussing several uh, passages from the Bible, which are, uh, you know, he says were used by his opponents, and then he puts his okay. own passages. And so it really looks like a debate. Okay. And it's a very interesting text to read, to yeah. see, uh, as the, uh, you see that rules are not uh, set in stone at that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I'll I'll look into that. It's on my shelf, but just yeah, they're they're so a lot of these little works are so not often studied. No, 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 because and yeah, another uh, thing I think should be studied more is already more studied, but uh, especially for theologians um, should be studied more are sermons and letters. Yeah, um, because they yeah. are so interesting um, about Augustine, more like uh, day to day Augustine. And uh, I think that's important to understand his thought more generally as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was talking to Michael Glowaski, you know him? Um, and he, he and I were talking about this. Uh, we read these very public works of the City of God and the Confessions. Um, but they sort of have a, a almost a catechumen orientation to them. Like they're... They're addressed to to people who might not believe or to those who are curious about the faith, mm -hmm. but they don't have. I mean, obviously, they're they're not for his they're they're for his congregation, but they're not pastoral works sort of giving out ethical advice. So to no. yeah, to yeah. look at the city of God and the confessions for ethics. Is helpful, but he has legitimate works on yeah uh, faith and works, for instance, or on in his sermons and letters that will actually say here's some some legitimate advice and framework for those who are initiated and sort of within this community that's i think sort of lacking from the more public works 
Yes, yes, yes. It's uh, it's also because I think of a <clears throat> traditional uh, you know, view of Augustine as a, an amazing, great philosopher, theologian, writer. And so it's obvious that uh, his role as a bishop is um, put on the side compared to his uh, figure as an intellectual, you know, as a yeah. very, very prominent yeah. intellectual. So yeah. that's one reason. And that's why I... My own interest is more in Augustine the bishop uh, than, yeah. in, although of course, whenever you read a sermon or a letter of Augustine, you'll see that um, it's not uh, like he's not writing like any other writer. So he's uh, has something special about his writing, yeah. and so that's something you you come across even in very simple sermons. Mm -hmm. um, but so that he has a, some uh, he's a yeah he's a major intellectual figure. But still, uh, it's it's very important, I think, to to look at the more humble Augustine, uh, no day to day uh, sermons, uh, letters, and yeah. to really understand because that's what 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 he was doing all day around. All day. And yeah. you're right. There is more interest in that, and that's a great thing that more and more people are looking at sermons and letters. But. Yeah, there is really, as you yeah, because also because of the discoveries of letters uh, in the in the 70s, 80s, and then sermons in the 90s and even later, uh, it has even yeah, it has created a new interest. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, what about non-Augustine works? So secondary sources that you find interesting that you'd recommend these days? Uh, yeah, about Augustine. Or, about yeah. Augustine. Yeah, yeah I, I, I wanted to mention the uh, Robin Lane Fox uh, biography, you know, Conversions and Confessions, okay. which uh, was published in 2015. Uh, I was in Oxford at that time, so I had many conversations with him. And um, the book he wrote, I think, is very, very interesting to read um, as a new kind of biography. Uh, but it's focused on Augustine before the Confessions. So the main question... Okay. Call, you know, one of the questions asked in the book is, uh, wow, how and why did he come to write these confessions and how we, can we explain, you know, and he's making the point that the confessions were written very quickly in a couple of weeks, like really? a burst of some, of, you know, you know, like a confession coming from. Yeah. Oh Augustine. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's an interesting, interesting interpretation. I would say uh, readers who are not familiar uh, should could look at. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely yeah. look at it. Sounds good. Uh, Thank you. To, to compare with the, you know, the obviously the Peter Brown's biography, which is so important for still today, so yeah. that you cannot skip if you were interested in Augustine, and especially if you're from the Anglophone world. Yeah. 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 Definitely good. Uh, well, let me ask, what are you working on now? Are you still working on that research out of your your Leverkusen time in Durham, or are you onto a new project? Yeah, uh, the moment um, I'm trying to put together papers of a conference uh, I organized at the end of the term, uh, my Durham fellowship, and uh, there should be a book coming out uh, entitled uh, Augustine and the Making of Christian Practice from 400 to 1000. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we're trying to cover what I said. I so almost the went. I, I was planning on driving down that week, but I got sick or my kids got sick. So oh, yeah. sick. But I plan to come down and, and see Lewis and go to the conference. So there is this, uh, and there is this, and then of course um, I'm trying to publish the research I did uh, on the, especially I worked on the manuscripts of Augustine's works, yeah. and uh, either try to put them on, uh, to put the description of the manuscripts online in databases, and as well publish a couple of articles based on that research. Great. And then I'm, yeah, I want to mention I'm, I'm involved uh, since a couple of years in translations, uh, translating Augustine into French in the Bibliothèque Augustinienne collection. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, it's it's not only useful for French speakers because the, we include uh, extensive annotation that you really? don't have in most translations. So you'll get um, annotations uh, at the end of the book. So uh, you have some notes in within the translation, but then right. at the end of the book for especially in interesting topics, you will have fully uh, fledged notes like various pages of notes uh, on different topics. And we, we have, uh, I've been part of a team that just finished uh, translating and commenting the Dolbo sermons. So you, you'll find a new edition uh, on translation of this, uh, which was done with Dolbo himself, part of the team. So wow, uh, it's a quite useful thing to, to look at. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm still part also for another team on um, um, for publishing translation of the commentary on Psalms, uh, which are not available uh, in full in French uh, oh, really? yet, yeah. uh, in a new translation. And so uh, we're um, uh, in around Psalm 70, 75. So uh, it's going, going well, but it's a long, long work. Yeah. Yeah. So I was working on that. And other, as another thing I'm doing is working on uh, anonymous sermons, uh, but also which are often found under the name of Augustine. So it's also a way of tracing Augustine's authority and reception, because not only often they are under the name of Augustine, but they also include parts of Augustine's sermons. You know, they, they reuse yeah. parts of his sermons. And um, that's a way of transmitting. And, you know, it's an interesting way of studying the reception of Augustine as well. Good. That's a lot. You're working <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely keep up with most of that. I probably won't read the french translations but yeah yeah but they're useful for if you're interested in one you know one specific sermon you you, yeah. you find puzzling uh, after reading it look at the french and you'll see some notes which are often useful for that yeah yeah oh, i'm sure it will be invaluable for a long time but it's good um at some point my mom always tried to teach me french and at some point i'll have to to learn it again yeah, yeah, yeah. It's useful. I think. Uh, yeah, any older languages are useful for yeah clearing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Good. Uh, well, thank you. I won't take too any more of your time. You've been very gracious, and I've I've loved hearing about your work. My I still need to get through the second half of your book. Ah, it's yeah, not, yeah. It's not a. It's not, not so short. Easy yeah. read or a a quick read, but it's it's interesting. Uh, but thanks for sharing your research and for just chatting. And I'm sure we'll we'll chat again in the future. You've got lots going on that's fascinating. Yeah, but it's nice to meet you and thanks for the discussion. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Matthew Penal. If you enjoyed our conversation and the work he's doing, please go buy his book, The Catechumenate in Late Antique Africa. There's a link in the description. Also check out his recommended work by Robin Fox, Augustine, Conversions to Confessions. There's a link for that below as well. As always, I'm your host, Joshua Blanchard. Our theme music is Oh Great Light by Jess Ray. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it.